I'm Brett Coleman, and you're listening to the Sounds of the Loom podcast. Morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm your host, Steve McPherson, and am as ever joined by the incomparable Cal Williams. Cal, what did you have for lunch today? <laughs> I had some low-calorie chips, is what I had, because I'm fat. I've had crisps. Uh, crisps, yes. Um, I've uh, I've had a lot of uh, a lot of I've had too much fun over the the off season, and sure. now my my trousers are a bit tight. So uh... <laughs> you're trying trying to get back into that game shape. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, I'm in the same boat. Uh, ever, it's been a slow fall ever since my first child was born. <laughs> Um, of just gradually falling apart in terms of, of uh, health and exercise. Mm-hmm. So so I'm playing basketball on the weekends now. This is my new thing. I mean, on Saturday mornings, I've been playing basketball. I hurt myself, <laughs> of course, in my second week. Yeah, and just a little twinge in my shoulder. I'm going to be okay. okay um, so that's good. Uh, I'm trying to get more sleep. Um, like a little more rest. Uh, I tend to sort of push it to like midnight a lot of nights. Uh, so my, my, one of my new year's resolutions is to fall back to like at least going to bed at a reasonable time, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, and then where possible, like just to not do that extra little bit. If I'm going to watch another episode of this, but just, Hmm. you know, at like 10 PM go, I'm going to bed. So, um, my hope is that that lays a real good, a good base coat, for future endeavors when I, you know, if I have a little more energy, uh, a, a little more interest in doing other things like going to the gym and stuff like that. So uh, and, any, any New Year's resolutions uh, for you? I mean, other than uh, low calorie crisps for lunch? <laughs> um, uh, not not that I can really think that I made off the top of my head, but... Um, I mean, you got a lot of change in your life right now. You're newly married. Yeah. You know, like you're not at that stage yet where you got to go. All right, I got to get my stuff together. Like you're, you know, you've, you've, yeah. you're embarking on a lot of new things right now. So. I, I appreciate that uh, that sentiment and thought there, Steve. I think my wife would say that's an excuse, but um, <laughs> I let me, let me tell you something. She's always going to say that. <laughs> oh, well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't change. Um, no, I think to be honest, if I if I had to do a New Year's resolution, it would just be just just to be healthier. You know, um, we, yeah. we, as we've spoken on this podcast many a time, uh, we do a lot of traveling. Uh, we do a lot of hours during the week and whatnot. And I, I you know, I, I just think I, I perhaps should be a little more healthier. So, it, yeah, um, it leads to some bad habits. So. Yeah, it does. It yeah, does. yeah. Yeah, I think a little, and that's, I, that's part of the sleep thing is just being a little more conscious of stuff. Um, and so I feel like some of those little steps you take toward, I'm consciously going to decide I'm going to sleep now, like rather than I'm just going to go until I am exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I feel like that, that sets you up for good habit building, hopefully, a little, a little more willing to make those good choices at other points. So I, I agree. But you know what? I'm going to blame the people at Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and whatever other platform you watch your stuff on because there's so many good programs Too much good now stuff out there yeah well, i just finished the sunderland documentary okay um, yes, which, yes which again i recommend anybody regardless if you're an english football fan or not it's a tremendous insight mm-hmm. into how a football club works um and how it can very easily fall apart as well yeah, so yeah um it's called sunderland till i die and uh it, it's a really really good watch but 
Um, if you've got something to do the next day that's of importance, I wouldn't watch it Don't the night before because you won't finish until four in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I gotta start. I gotta try to get on my wife about uh, watching that one. So I, I, she she really likes documentaries overall, and so I think a lot of times, even if it's you know, she's not a huge she's not a huge she's been to a, a bunch of Minnesota United games. She's not a huge sports fan. Right. She's not a huge soccer fan, but I think she appreciates a good story. You know, we enjoyed the the OJ Simpson, uh, you know, multi part documentary that was yep. on ESPN. So. I think some of that stuff's interesting uh, for her, even for non-sports fans, because you get you just get an insight into a sort of a, a business and a culture and a you know an organization and what it means to the the town. It's, Correct. You know, it sounds like so. Um, yeah, I, I think that can make for some compelling watching. We've been watching uh, Parks and Rec. Oh, uh, right. Rewatching Parks and Rec, which uh, I I I was not somebody who was like with it from the beginning. So I really started in the second season, I think, and I didn't watch it very carefully. So uh, it's kind of nice to go back and 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 have that on, and uh, you know, revisit some characters and sort of see how the the show develops, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, how Chris Pratt becomes a, a healthy, in shape Adonis over time and it starts as a schlub. So that's sort of my I'm trying to I'm trying to just get to schlub. I'm trying to get up to where Chris Pratt starts, so that's my goal. Um, all right, let's talk some soccer. Uh, there's been a lot of material. Uh, you know, we've it's been the holidays, so we've missed some. Uh, so the podcast recording schedule has been a little bit, uh, uh, I guess, truncated. Not truncated is not the word I'm looking. For. <laughs> Syncopated. Uh, that works. I'm broken up. You know, it's a little bit. It's a little bit off kilter. We're used to sort of hitting this every week. You know, like Monday, Tuesday, but it hasn't happened. So, but there's some things that have come up that I found interesting. Uh, Bobby Warshaw on MLS. Soccer.com had uh, three theoretical questions. So this is the time to think about theoretical things uh, in MLS. Uh, His first one was, is it possible to win MLS Cup without spending big? Uh, if you, you know, he had this, the list of four of the last five winners have been Atlanta, Toronto, Seattle, and the galaxy, all of which you could say are, are, are big spenders. Now you've had some contenders who are not as big spenders. Um, obviously Red Bulls is one of them. Yep. Um, SKC, uh, is, is another one of them. Uh, but I think the question is, it, I mean, this is going to tie into some other things we'll talk about down the line, but is MLS becoming a league where essentially you can, you can outspend and then not necessarily guarantee your success, but it's just very hard to get over that last hump into that into that champions uh, sort of level mm. without that kind of big spend. What what is what is your take? I think the parity in this league that has existed for many many a moon, Steve, is is now finally starting to dwindle, um, which is is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I, to, to answer the question, I would say yes, you you can win MLS Cup without spending a gargantuan amount of money, but. I think now MLS has got to a certain stage in its growth where you have to spend money to compete um, and you have to spend money wisely and mm-hmm. the right way, um, which requires a very shrewd operator, whether that is now, nowadays in modern-day football, it's, it's the GM who, who does a lot of the, the signing of players. So I think if if the, the technical director, GM, director of football, whatever you want to call them these days, if they do their job well, then there is an opportunity uh, to compete. Um, you know, obviously, you, you need a, a coach who is able to execute a plan with the players as well. Um but the players have to have to be there and, and want to operate under the coach as well. And mm-hmm. um, you know, the the, the one that, that you mentioned that springs to mind instantly is is Sporting KC and Peter Vermees. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of players, uh, because I've been told by either their agent or themselves that they've gone to Kansas City 
to either A, play under Peter Vermees, uh, play in his system, uh, or go and play um, it, it amongst that environment, which is something Minnesota United are going to have uh, available two new players coming in uh, within the course of you know a couple of months when Allianz Field opens. Mm -hmm. But also a training facility that, that attracts a lot of people as well is, is really, really vital. Um, I was told an interesting story during the off-season speaking to a, a couple of technical staff around the league and um, one or two people that had left Sporting Kansas City were speaking to a chap called Roger Espinosa. Um, you know, for those unaware, um, Honduran international has been with Kansas City for a long time, but spent a few years in England in the Premier League and the Championship with Wigan Athletic. And and his advice was was very wise. I thought if you're young and you want to go and play in Europe, if it fits you and your um, current life, and and you want to go and give it a go, then give it a go. But just know that if you do go over. Uh, and you play in the second division in Germany, or even you go and play in some of the top leagues in Spain and France, uh, and in a lot of cases in, in English teams as well, you're not going to have the facilities that we do here in the US. Sure. Um, yep. And I think that's a, a massive plus point moving forward, is that the facilities here are second to none, that they are the best I think I've probably ever seen. But, you know, apart from the, the obvious ones, you know, the, the humongous training facilities at Tottenham and, and Arsenal and, and Real Madrid and all these training facilities are essentially cities in themselves, you know. Mm. Um, but I, I, think, um, I think that's vital moving forward. But to, to answer your question, Steve, I, I think you can win MLS Cup without spending a ridiculous amount of money but you have to spend it wisely. Yeah, I think that there's something to be said for that idea that the spending, people tend to think of the spending as just the players, but there's a lot of spending that's not strictly on the players. And so things like the investment into a training facility, a top-notch training facility, which I think is is happening for Minnesota United. I mean, yep. like if when you're up at Blaine at the National Sports Center, the Minnesota United Training Ground, the, the it's getting better like every week. I mm -hmm. feel like you just over the past season, you've just seen the investment there like really paying off. And I think that that you know, it's, this is where these guys have to go every day to work. You know, it's it's just the same as in a work environment where you feel comfortable and supported, and that there's uh, it's it's easy to go there and do your best. You know, if you're providing that, that says a lot to players. It's not simply about, you know, what happens on the pitch. Um, they want to be a part of winning, but all of them believe that they can be a part of that. So a lot of the selling point, I think, is going to be that environment. I think that, um, I think that, like you said, I think there's there's more emphasis on money than there has been in the past. This is likely breaking up some of the parity in the league. I don't think that's a bad thing. No. Um, because I think that you're you're seeing more personality come out in different teams. You're beginning to see a little more identifiable like way of approaching the game. Those differences are becoming a little more stark. That is always going to be the case where there's there's money injected. Every team is making a decision about Atlanta and LAFC are are spending a lot, but spending it in different ways from each other. Um, FC Cincinnati is going a much more um, sort of what I would call blue collar route to developing their team. Yep. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with other teams that come into the league, Miami, Austin, you know, these ones that are on the horizon. So I think you're going to see more diversity of personality. I think it also just as frustrating as, as frustrating as it could be for any individual team's fan base. It sets up stories like, you know, Lester winning the 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 EPL, you yep. know, things like that. Without this David and Goliath kind of thing that happens, you don't you miss out. Sure, Goliath is going to win a lot of the times in these in these matchups, but 
it gives you the chance for these great David versus Goliath moments where a team like SKC beats a team like Atlanta at some point, you know, um, that is in the playoffs. That is fun. Um, and so globally for the league, I think that is a good, that is a good thing. Ultimately. Um, now speaking about the playoffs, the playoff format is changing. Is success in the playoffs, are the playoffs inherently different from the regular season in terms of what it takes to succeed? Because you see teams like SKC having success across the regular season, largely because of chemistry, depth, uh, you know, products of the academy, being able to step up with guys from, you know, reserve teams, things like that, like being able to, the system is very intact. Um, Is that different than what it takes to win, especially now, one playoff game where you're going to be putting your best people out there and when you're facing a team like Atlanta who has, uh, you know, Martinez and how do you say his name again? Almiron. Almiron. You make me self-conscious about that now. But, you know, like a a team that can simply put out a bunch of guys who are top flight guys. Do you think that there is a difference between what it takes to win in the regular season and what it takes to win in the playoffs? Um, I'm asking you the tough ones today. Blame Bobby. It's his fault. (laughs) I think in a one-off situation, yeah, because as you mentioned, it's it's one and done now in the playoffs. Yeah, but I because you, you could argue the approach would be difficult. Uh, sorry, you could argue the approach would be different if you are in a league game, a regular season game away at uh, Atlanta United, for example. A lot of people would go to Atlanta. Let, let's take. Um, Colorado Rapids, for example, would quite happily, I think, with the rosters that they have at their disposal, would be happy to go to Atlanta and take a point. Right. There's a certain way of doing that from a a setup point of view, from a a tactical and logistical point of view. Sure. Obviously, that isn't going to work in the postseason. Um, You you would set up um, similar in terms of, of... um, from a defensive point of view, I would imagine. But I think in the postseason, you would give your creative players a little more freedom because, as we know, you, you have to win over the, the course of the 90 minutes or extra time and, and, and penalties. So right. um, I think there's, there's an argument there to, to say yes, um, but I, I think we should have this discussion again this time next year when we've we've Once seen, we've seen it, the playoffs in the new um, sure. because I, I am intrigued to see how it goes down but but I certainly think there's an argument there for what you've just said yeah yeah I, to me I, you know I think there's sort of a question of do you want to you know any given team it, like a theoretical team I'm not saying like like sort of take Minnesota United out of it in terms of how how the team is built right now or anything but if you're building a team is it better to build for that regular season to say we want depth development, consistency versus literally your aim is to get one of that, like the sixth or seventh spot Mm. now, you know, in the table and then try and then, and then just play in a way that you're going to try to like blow another team out, like on the road, you know, you're going to, you're going to try to like be an upset team in the playoffs. Um, you know, that with more sort of high risk reward, you know, maybe a higher emphasis on attacking and you hope that you just pile on goals. And, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know, you know, like, I guess I can't, you know, to me, it's, I guess I've always been a person, I don't know, maybe this comes from being in Minnesota, a person in Minnesota who doesn't see a lot of playoff games for any team in any sport, basically. Um, 
I would sort of rather, I like the process. I like seeing the game-to-game adjustments. I like seeing a team come together. So to that extent, I think I would sort of prefer to watch a team build itself into something consistent like SKC, mm-hmm. you know, with the system you can really appreciate and, um, you know, depth and and these players who are, the, the chemistry is there. Whether or not that leads to, you know, championships. Sure. Then to see one where it's like we're throwing a lot of money out there on attacking players and just hoping the defense doesn't completely fall apart. Personally, that's my Well, yeah, but and also as well, Steve, you, you have to ask uh, the, the CEO of whatever the franchise is what ultimately defines success. And if, yeah. if, if the that particular franchise defines success as reaching the playoffs every year, then great, yeah. no problem. But that's not the way that everybody thinks. Yeah. So it, it depends on, on, on the people running the organizations, in yeah. my opinion. Or U.S. Open Cup. I mean, that's a place that obviously well, SKC yes. has been very, very successful. Very yeah. successful. So um, last question from, from Mr. Warshaw. Is it possible to build a homegrown contender, like a, a team uh, like Red Bulls, you know, who have been – obviously they've been very good, won the Supporters' Shield, uh, but have not gotten that that championship. Also, and I think this is where, where Bobby's point is particularly interesting – you can look at Red Bulls as an example of how you build an, a, a homegrown contender, mm-hmm. but they also they have Tyler Adams, who is a homegrown, and he is like that's like hitting gold, you know. Mm-hmm. So, can you build a homegrown contender without getting one of those guys who's like a Tyler Adams, who you know, because because it's, it's you know you can sort of say it's better to build through your academy, but if you simply don't ever end up hitting a guy like Tyler Adams in your academy, like is it a viable way to approach building a contender? So so define what you think a homegrown contender is. Is is it a team that is completely full of homegrown players or or is it a team with three or four homegrown players that, that start every week? Um I don't necessarily think it. I mean, and I think you could, you've seen that, like SKC. We think of them as uh, being in that, somewhat in that mold of working from their uh, their homegrown players. But they also have brought a lot of their homegrown players are coming in from other places to be in. They're not like coming from Kansas City, Correct. right? Um, Daniel Shalloway did not grow up in Kansas City. <laughs> um, to me, I think the question is really just like using your academy. Um, more than, like, you look at Philly, right? They just traded away all their picks in the draft because they're like, we have an academy and we have this young back line. You know, like, I think Philly is one of those teams. You've got four young guys in the back line, right? Um, That's, to me, what I think of as, like, that is an example of a a homegrown team. Okay. Um, That doesn't mean that you don't have DPs who come from someplace else. Right, right. Well, given, given that mindset... I would I would always, always, always encourage people to give homegrown players opportunities. There is a changing of the guard now in US soccer. When I first came here, Steve, it was all draft players. You would get them from college. You know, it was very rare that you would do a homegrown signing. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to Kansas City in 2011, just before that, that year, that turn of the year, they had announced uh, John Kempen as a, a homegrown player uh, and Kevin Ellis as a homegrown player. They were the two first homegrown players in club history. Now you look at how many homegrown players Sporting Kansas City have developed, um, particularly with the the current roster as well. I mean, uh, I think the quality of the the homegrown players uh, is getting bigger and better every year as well, which which doesn't um, doesn't harm your 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 progress. But I think it's difficult to argue that you you can build a team of homegrown players right now 
specifically with the majority of, of the team coming from the academy, your academy, because you you need different ideas. You 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 need from a foreign mindset. Sure. You you need more than um, the athleticism that a lot of the young American players have. Um, now, a lot of young American players have much more than that, but Tyler Adams is is an exception, mm-hmm. and he's no longer with the Red Bulls. Right. So, well, he, <laughs> with Red Bull Leipzig, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's in the, the company, he, but yes. he's not. <laughs> right. So um, I, I guess I would argue uh, at this current stage, I would say no. That yeah. doesn't mean it can't change in the very near future, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm probably on board with that. That I think you, you you have to you have to leaven a certain amount of homegrown emphasis with a willingness to look outside yep. and and bring in people and and maybe you you know like with the right combination it's okay. Like even if you don't have somebody like Tyler Adams who comes up through your academy, mm-hmm. um, I think there's no guarantee that any of the Philly guys are Tyler Adams, right? But like they they could they could build. They're doing it. They're doing a good job building. It's slow, yeah. but they're doing a good job building. They, they, think, they've done so. a good job. I remember when we were in Philadelphia, uh, the tail end of last season, and I was very, very impressed with Austin Trusty. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, I thought he was fabulous. Um, I, I, he I, does sound like the protagonist from a kids' cartoon, though. Like, <laughs> like he should be on the Paw Patrol or something. Like, I feel like Austin Trusty is like, you know. Maybe it's, does it remind you of Austin Powers? Maybe that's. I, I think it's the why. trusty part. It sounds like okay. it, it sounds like a name you give to somebody who's supposed to be like the, <laughs> you know, like he's supposed to be talking to Rubble and and Marshall and Sky. So I know a lot about Paw Patrol guys. Sorry. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's move on. And talk about some of Minnesota United's uh, player movement. Uh, my boy, who I got to talk to on the phone for a little mm. while, Jan Gregus. Now is that? Uh, it is Gregus because Gregus. I looked at this. Um, when was it on on Wednesday afternoon? Okay. I um and, and I would encourage everybody when a foreign player comes in, go and have a look at this. Yeah. Because the amount of names that are said wrong around the sure. world just it's infuriating to a commentator. Um and uh, I watched some FC Copenhagen highlights with with the Danish commentary. Okay. And every time they said Gregus, Gregus. It wasn't Gregus. Um, right. It wasn't Grey Goose. Gregus. 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 That's exactly how you okay. Greg Jan Gregus. Gregus. Okay. So Jan Gregus, uh, I, his English was, was good on the phone. Uh, obviously, a phone call is a little weird way to talk to somebody for the first time. Um, he seems like he's very dedicated to soccer. You know, he he likes the movie Gladiator, uh, which was his – he immediately named as his favorite movie. But okay. as far as other things, he really – he seemed like he wanted to, to go along with what people wanted to do and have a good time. Uh, I, that's what he likes to do outside of soccer. You know, it, so it seems like he's focused on his career, which is good. Um, what kind of – what kind of role do you see him having as the third? You know, he's the third DP. This isn't just getting another uh, another guy. This is a guy. He's twenty seven. He's right in that prime. Um, he's uh, he fulfills a position that 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 Minnesota United has been lacking. Um, it, how big do you think this addition is? What kind of role do you see him having on the team? I see him having an absolutely pivotal role, um, not only on the field but off the field as well. As you mentioned, he's the third designated player in in club history. So. Um, I, I see him being a part of the furniture for a very, very long time. Um, you know, he's in his mid to late 20s. I, I can see him being with Minnesota United if it all works out and, and he turns out to be the player that, that our technical staff think he is. Uh, I could see him being with the club for, you know, four or five years, five, mm-hmm. six years even, you know. I, I can see him being, um, being very handy for us. So I'm looking forward to seeing him. As I've said, I 
watch clips of him. Uh, we're very fortunate here. We usually find out a couple of days before uh, a signing is made. So from a broadcasting point of view, it's wonderful to go and have a look at a couple of clips mm-hmm. online. Um, again, we, we're helped out by people here who provide us with that sort of stuff, so it's great. Um, I, I'm interested now, I, I, you know, I think he'll play a little further up than what was originally anticipated. Mm-hmm. He, for the majority... So not really a six. We, at first we thought, okay, he's a six. Well, yeah, so, so but, originally, so he played, he, he grew up and he played as a six growing mm-hmm. up. He still plays that role for the Slovakian national team. Over the course, and has played that role for the likes of, of Banik Ostrava and several other teams that he's played for. But in FC Copenhagen, he was used a little further up the field because he can play that role. Mm-hmm. But he also had a holding midfielder alongside him who allowed him the space to manoeuvre. And, and, you know, I, I, every clip I saw of him, I thought his passing range was wonderful. Yeah, I saw some of those hit-aheads, like the, you know, the sort of long... Long through balls, uh, really, really good stuff. Nice, so. His his um, his vision's really good, um, but he can only really make passes like that if he's given time to do so. And a lot of that comes from having a holding midfielder alongside sure. you. So sure. Um, sure. I think now um, he'll he'll be asked to push forward a little more, um, and I'm I'm really excited to see what he does. Yeah, I I, I think that I, I'm trying to remember who it was who was saying this, but that. Um, to the extent to which he ha- he will have a defensive role, it won't be so much as a destroyer uh, as like intercepting passes no. and sort of controlling uh, from the back. Somebody can be, you know, if he was going to be used as a straight six, which it seems like maybe he won't be, but um, a little closer to a six like Elias Sanchez, where it's it's less about like standing up to guys coming into the box and more about you know anticipating the play in such a way that you break it up and then move it back in the other direction. So yep, um, and then and again, it's like if you're given a little more of a box to box role, that means you get to. Do some of each of those things. Yeah, and look, uh, a six doesn't have to be someone who flies in with tremendous tackles and, and whatnot and be a sort of a rough and tumble central midfielder. You know, a six can be a very composed uh, individual, as you mentioned, Ilya Sanchez, I think is probably the, the best example in Major League Soccer right now. Uh, you know, maybe Jan Gregus is, is that kind of player. Um, but as I said, I think um, what we'll see now is I, I think we'll see him playing a little more advanced for Minnesota United over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk a little bit about something that you posted on Twitter, which was a link to uh, two maps, uh, one showing uh, some distances in MLS. I think it was Real Salt Lake flying different places and then Columbus flying different places, sort of showing distances between cities. And then those same distances laid over in Europe, hmm. uh, demonstrating how the distance, I think somebody, I think that I saw a post on SB Nation that was talking about it. The distance from uh, Vancouver to Orlando is the longest in MLS, and that's 2,600 miles. Uh, the distance from London to Moscow is 1,500 miles. So, uh, <laughs> so it's an interesting point to bring up. It's something we've talked about before in terms of the size of, of the country. I think it's one of those things that gets overlooked. I want to talk about it with regard to MLS specifically, but when people talk about, oh, Iceland got a team into the World Cup, uh, and they're, you know, they're this tiny little dinky country. Mm. We have 350 million people. How could we not find people who could play uh, on our U.S. men's national team to that level? Um, part of that has to come with the fact that, like, it is such a massive territory. Mm. And finding talent, you know, the, 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 it doesn't excuse the fact that I think some of U.S. soccer's ability to capture 
all populations and their soccer players is is not is not as good as it should be. But it is a tremendously large country. That's a lot different as I think I can't remember the specific uh, comparison you made in EPL. But, um, you know, it's not like going overnight to some other team in, in yeah. England. Like it's all very close together. What do you think? Let's just touch again on what what do you think that kind of distance means in MLS as far as like the, the league culturally? Um, first of all, Steve, I think from an international point of view, it, it's not that difficult if you're playing on the national team because you're only going to play uh, with the national team. Um, you know, if it's a qualification phase, you might be playing on the Saturday and then the Wednesday, and, and usually one of those games is, is a home game. So sure. it's, it doesn't really matter too much. But if you think about doing it over the course of the season, it's going to take its toll. Right. Um, I remember a couple of people um, that I've, I've worked with in the past covering this league, ex-players, would all say, nobody knows until you do it how bad it can be. Someone mentioned a couple of years ago to me that the shift of, of lactic acid in your legs because you're sitting on a, on a flight for so long, Right. it, it can play its part um, in, in terms of your recovery more than anything. Mm -hmm. So... I think what we need to do moving forward, I think the league... Look, because there's nothing geographically we can do about this, right? right. It's, a, it's a big right. country. Yeah. And I, I don't... I, I think we may see this in the future, but I, I hope not for a while yet. I like the East and Western Conference. It's a good idea. Someone suggested a while ago we have a central conference. That happened before in MLS, and it didn't really work. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's fine having the East and West right now. Um but from a geographical point of view, there's, there's nothing you can do about this. Um, the only thing I would would say would be that I hope the league and the people who are putting the schedule together understand that, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago, we had a game at, I think it was Seattle or Vancouver. It was Vancouver on a Wednesday night. And then we played in Montreal on the Saturday. Right. Yep. It's come on, you know, yeah. for goodness sake. So it, it's little things like this that, you know, maybe some of these issues are, are unavoidable. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I did kind of think to myself then, who on earth is doing these schedules? Um, and, and, and to be fair to whoever it is doing these schedules, that's the only one I can really remember off the top of my head where it's a real pain in the backside to, to get to the destination. But yeah. I just hope that especially now with the, the teams being in the CONCACAF Champions League as well, travelling down to Costa Rica and, you know, all, all sorts of areas in, in Central America. Um, I just hope that, that the league really take on board that, that travel is a massive issue. We've, we've spoken about this before. We've touched on it briefly. Again, I hope, I don't think it'll happen, well, it won't happen this year, but I hope when the next CBA rolls around, the thing that the players push for is private chartered flights because that would help a tremendous amount. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. I, I think that the other thing is that we're we're going to be looking at a schedule that's a little more compressed this season. Yes, um, more Wednesday games and things like that. So you're going to have to be. There's got to be a sensitivity to that. I think you also see. I mean, you often see teams playing. I mean, maybe I, I know. I know Minnesota United has. 
playing Seattle and Portland or Seattle and Vancouver like back to back. Yep. Because it, it feels like that makes sense, but there's you have to fly there and fly back and then fly there and fly back for each of those. It's not like a road trip. It's not like and the NBA has its own issues with in terms of how long road trips are and things like that. But it's not like you're oh, we go to Portland, then we're up there for a week, then we take a bus up to Seattle. It's like, no, you're going back and forth on flights yeah, and you're yeah. crossing time zones and stuff like that. So um I, I think that I mean, one thing I'll be interested to see is is what the changes to uh, USL and as that grows and you have more, you know, second division teams maybe connecting some of these things, not so much from a competitive standpoint, but from a, a, just a cultural uh, sense where you begin to feel like, you know, where, we're, you know, Ford Madison is going to be our USL affiliate this season. And that sort of introduces a bunch of s- soccer fans in Madison to the concept of being connected to Minnesota United somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that serves to bridge some of these gaps because you look in England, right? You have like how many divisions of, of soccer below, you know, you know, the, the, the top and, yep. and, and any little area you have a bunch of different, te- you might have your, you know, your EPL team. That's your team, but you have another team that you go to. That's a small team, right? Yep. yep. So that idea in, I think is maybe interesting. And the idea of hopefully over time, just there's always been these little, there's been leagues that come up and fall apart and come up and fall apart. Hopefully as MLS is stronger and, and more solid, that brings more leagues up you know, lower divisions that, that connect in the right way. And then, and then people have a connection to the culture of soccer. I think that's been one of the big impediments to the growth of the game as an entertainment thing. Um, again, a lot of people grow up playing soccer, but then prior to MLS and then prior to the development academies and prior to some of these other things, there was no through line Mm -hmm. from playing soccer when you're a kid. And it doesn't even mean that everybody who has to play soccer ends up playing pro soccer. Right. But just that, you know, if you're a kid who played basketball, you're like, well, I'll play for my AAU team and then we'll play in some tournaments. I'll play on my high school team. I'll go to a college. Hopefully I'm recruited to a good college for basketball. From there, I'll be drafted in the NBA. In soccer, just he was like, well, how do you get from mm. playing soccer in fourth grade to being in MLS? And now we're seeing a little more of a pathway that, you know, through the development academies, through USL and things like that, um, through having U17 and U19 teams with academies. I think that's a big part of growing just the culture of the game. Yep. Um, and I think I, I think that will help a lot in terms of those those distances. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, culture is, is a massive thing in, in world football. It really, really matters more, more than a lot of things and more than people realise, I think. So more opportunities for young players here in the, in the US and, and Canada is, is a good thing. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Minnesota United do in terms of academy opportunities over the, the coming mm-hmm. years. I think there'll be more um, over the coming years. But let's not forget as well, let, let's not completely dismantle the draft as well because sure. the college draft, uh, whilst I I'm a, I prefer the academy system, it's it's what I've grown up with, I, I also understand that the, the draft has given a lot to Major League Soccer over the, the course of its existence. I think it probably gives less now, but that doesn't mean it's redundant. I right. think there are still gems to be picked out amongst a plethora of players. Yes. Well, this is what makes you a prescient and excellent co-host, uh, because that's exactly what we're going to talk about now is the Super there we Draft. Go. <laughs> so uh, you anticipate, in, anticipate the segues, which is great. So the Super Draft is tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, Friday, January 11th. Uh, we have the, the seventh pick in the first round. Um, we have traded our second round pick yep. provisionally for some things. Uh, 55th pick traded to Chicago way back in the day to get Cronin and Birch here. 
That was back in 2017. And the 79th pick was traded to Atlanta in a move for Harrison Heath, which is interesting. Uh, so, uh, again, it's, it's, it's the Wild West out there in terms of looking at, looking at these players. Uh, you watched some of the Combine. Yep. Um, thoughts on the Combine? Thoughts on, on, on the Super Draft predictions if you have them? The combine is such a difficult time for those poor players. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I just I, I find it difficult to to really. Uh, it's it's a difficult one, Steve, because I I find it difficult to believe that you're seeing the best of these players in these little short games. Sure. There's been a suggestion that the combine will not be a thing next year, and I can completely understand why. In my opinion, if if you need to to watch these players scrimmage with players they're not used to playing with, right? Uh, you probably haven't done your homework. Mm-hmm. You should, in my opinion, you should have scouts out throughout the year looking at every level of college soccer to find and, and unpluck that gem because there are gems out there. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of finding them. So um, I feel sorry for a lot of the players who who were playing. Um, because I think a lot of them didn't give the best account of themselves. Now there were some players who did, and you know they may very well get draft. But is that an accurate representation of what they actually are as a player? Because they had a good sixty-minute period or whatever it was, right. you know. So yeah. um, I'm sounding terribly negative here. I, I don't mean to be, but I, I I struggle to believe that that's the best way to evaluate talents. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the draft itself, uh, I like the lad Buchanan. Okay. Forward at Syracuse, mm-hmm. who most mock drafts I've seen have him going in the top spot or within. The it it wouldn't surprise spots. me if Cincinnati took him first, yeah. because Cincinnati with their uh, fifty-four picks, um, <laughs> <laughs> they have a ridiculous. I think they have ten picks. Uh, yeah, which yeah. obviously you know I'm sure the listener knows now that Philadelphia Union traded all of their picks to Cincinnati yes. because the the GM there, the German GM Ernst Tanner, didn't fancy anybody, and, and that's up to them. As we mentioned earlier, they've got an academy. That's the way they want to do things. Yeah. Fair play to them. Um, I, um, I I I just think that Cincinnati will take Buchanan first because they've got Fernando Adi, they've got Darren Mattox. Um, maybe they'll use Emery Welshman as a forward, but he's played as a wide player over the last couple of years, to my mm-hmm. knowledge. So I think if they've got a young third option, who's sure. also a GA, which helps Generation Adidas, doesn't yeah. count against the cap. Right. That could be the one that goes first. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, there there's something interesting about – I think one thing that's interesting about the draft is that because of things like Generation Adidas players and, and the fact that uh, younger players are now getting interest from teams, you know, overseas Abroad, yep. and things like that, that it is a place to take maybe a little more risk. You're a little bit less thinking this is the foundation of our club going forward and more let's get this guy – you know, we'll give him some run, maybe send him down to the USL, see how it goes. If he pans out, he's either great for us or he can be sold for for assets, which is great. So, um, I mean, I think with Minnesota United, we've seen, I mean, we made, did a lot of wheeling and dealing last year to yep. end up with Mason Toy and Carter Manley and Wyatt Amsberg. Um, you know, they all had moments uh, where they got to play with the first team. 
you know, Mason is very young still. Hmm. Um, and as Adrian continually emphasized, he just needs time playing professional soccer. Um, Abu Dunladi, obviously a lot of injury issues uh, last season, but still a lot of promise, you know, had a terrific rookie season. Yep. Um, that's a lot of young guys on the roster right now. I wouldn't necessarily, look, I mean, I would imagine we have the seventh pick. I have no prediction of who it's going to be um, other than we need defensive depth. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out. No. Um, and if you are getting somebody there, I think your, your plan is let's see how they, how it goes. You know, you, yeah. not a lot of expectations. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, as you quite rightly identified, it is the wild west. It is the absolute epitome of it. So uh, we, we can sit here and make predictions and they could be completely wrong. No one knows. So, uh, and I need to, to stress, I've not spoken to anybody, so I don't know what, what the plan is, right, what the either. coaching staff are, are, are thinking. I know there's there's players that they have their eyes on on the international market where they're hoping to fill some gaps. But also, if you have a couple of these players available, particularly if they are GA, I don't think Minnesota United need another project at the moment. Right. However, if it's a GA and you think they might be able to contribute, maybe it's not in MLS, maybe it's with Forward Madison. Yep. And that's a huge difference this year. It's having Ford Madison absolutely. just locked in there means that those guys are going to get more run. Um, and so, yeah. And exactly. if it's GA, it's like it's like it, found money, right? It, it's so. fabulous, yeah. And I love the GA rule, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. And again, as I said, I have no knowledge of this at all, but it would not surprise me. Guys, Cal knows nothing. I just want you to know this. <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> it would not surprise me if I was in charge... I would perhaps look at the goalkeeper from Maryland, okay. who's a GA, um, Sinclair, who looks really good. Minnesota only have one goalkeeper at the moment. Mm-hmm. That would be a nice little project to have as a third string. Again, GA, no problem. Right. I would also understand going for a fullback who would be GA as well. Mm-hmm. I would also understand if they did what they did last year and traded a pick away for a depth player, or for some cash. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised either way. I know that's offering absolutely no insight whatsoever. Sure, sure. <laughs> but this is, as you said, the super draft. Anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm intrigued. I really am. It'll, it'll be fun to watch. Drafts are always fun to watch um, and, and cover. You know, I, I'm, I'm hoping we... It's always nice to take somebody because then you get somebody to talk to. Like I'll, I'll get on the phone with them. We'll talk a little bit, uh, find out about them. Uh, it's it, it's always fun. The rookies are always down for stuff. You know, they Mason did a lot in the community last year. Yes. Um, you know, and I know that each of, each of those guys got a chance to go down to USL teams. And Carter had uh, ended up having a very productive season with the Las Vegas Lights at, at, a, at a lot of stretches. After going down there and not playing initially, he really played his way into the into the team. So that's you know, I think it's. Uh, it, it's always fun. The draft is going to be good. It's it's tomorrow, so you guys can tune in. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the other big acquisition for Minnesota United at this moment. Uh, uh, Osvaldo Alonso, Ozzy Alonso of the Seattle Sounders. Um, ten ten years with the Sounders, I think is ten years. Is, yeah, is right. <laughs> um, it, you know, obviously uh, this changed. This is one of the things that changed the equation about what Gregus was going to be. Yes, um, because you don't see very many guys who are more of a of a bulldog number six than Ozzy Alonso in the league. Um, what, let's just get your first your take on Alonso as a player. Hard as nails. Uh, honestly, I yeah. think if he were to step on a nail, that nail would bend or break. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I like it. Yes. You know, he, he he's. A colossal presence in midfield. I've been an admirer for a long time. He was 
dominant for the Sounders throughout those 10 years. I would argue in the conversation of top three holding midfielders in Major League Soccer mm-hmm. over those last 10 years as well. So big fan of his. I, I understand people saying that they they perhaps would have wanted him a little younger. But in my opinion, this this comes at a perfect timing for, made for Minnesota United in Major League Soccer. Because the one thing that I think the Loons have lacked is is leadership on mm-hmm. the field. Now, over 275 MLS appearances for Ozzy Alonso. I think, and, and throughout the majority of those, he's been captain of a very successful MLS team as well. Right. I think him coming into this team right now with Jan Gregus alongside him, I think that's perhaps as solid as the Minnesota United central midfield has ever looked in Major League Soccer. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, like in terms of, obviously there are questions about, you know, his age, he's 33 at this point. Um, He's had some injury issues um, in the recent past, but I think that just on paper, you have to say that that pairing has got to be the best that we've had in terms of balance on the field. Yep. Um, And I think that, you know, I think one of the things... I don't necessarily think Alonzo is is the holding midfielder for the next five years. No, no, right? no, 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 no. But I think that for a team that has lacked um, lacked like you're saying that leadership on the field um, and lacked some of that like hard nosed grit, simply having the example of it. If he plays a good number of games and if he's that guy in the locker room. Having that example it can change the tone of the team in such a way that it helps the next person who comes in as a holding midfielder. Yep. Um, you know, uh, there's nobody obviously on the roster who's, you know, a, you know, a rookie or young player who's sort of training for that position. I would say right now, um, but eventually you got to imagine that you're going to have younger players, and he can set that veteran leadership example for them. Yeah, uh, and I think as well because of his aggressive nature. You, you tell me if I'm wrong, is you, you, you've been in in Minnesota much longer than I have. His aggressive nature and his um, bulldog-like approach, where he gives absolutely everything. As I mentioned earlier, makes hard tackles, yeah. runs his socks off. It'll fit in very well with the culture here, won't it? I, I mean, I think so, and I think that you know, you think about we obviously lost Sam Cronin. Yeah. Last year, you think about the difference he made as as a sort of hard nosed defensive midfielder to the team in his the brief stretch where he was really good and, and healthy, and he is not he is not a player at the level of Ozzy Alonso. Like he's he's very good, but Alonso's another step up. Yep. Um, and it's one of those things that. It, coming into an area of the team that is really lacked for those things, it can make a huge difference. You know, um, you talk about changing different people in in different positions, and obviously things like you're looking at the the the, the farther farther up the midfield and the battle that's going to go on between um, Finley, Finley, Quintero, uh, uh, Molino, uh, Ibar, the two Ibarras. Like you've got a lot of guys right who have different sets of of skills, and 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 they got to fill a limited number of slots. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of talent in that position. We've never had like that kind of level of choice in terms of defensive skill in the position that Alonso is going to come into. Yeah, yeah. It, it's look, it's a really solid signing, um, and and people were saying as well uh, they were slightly concerned about his injury issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you, you know, I, I'm not a massive stats person. I think stats at times can can tell lies. But I did a little bit of digging, and he actually played 25 games last year in 2018. You remember that run that the Sounders went on 
to get themselves to the postseason. Yes. Alonso started in 15 games towards the end of the season. The Sounders had a record of 13 and 2 when he played. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's not coincidence. That no. can't be coincidence. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, I, I just think this is a really good signing, Steve. I, I really do. And I agree, he's not going to be the holding mid for the next five years. Right. He will be, I'm assuming, in for two years. He will, for this season, be our starting holding midfielder at number six. Mm-hmm. And hopefully what that does is it gives the people making these decisions more time to go and find a long-term solution. Sure. Maybe it's Jan Gregus. Maybe We don't know. Maybe they'll look right. to get another eight. And I, I don't know. But it's far too early to make those predictions. But I, I think Ozzy Alonso is a tremendous signing. It's exactly what Minnesota United need, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him in Loon's jersey. Yeah, it's really going to help. One of the things I'm looking forward to is I also think that our I think our back line has taken more heat than they've often deserved simply because of not having somebody in front to stop a lot of attacks that shouldn't even be happening. Um, it's one of the things you've like I think I think looking at 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 Brent and Boxy as that those those back center backs and then the, Calvo had a lot of success moving out to that left back position. I think those guys, I think the defense has been bad, but a lot of it hasn't directly been their fault. I think no. having somebody like Ozzy in front of them is going to make them even more effective players. Yep. Uh, so I think he's going to be able to lift that entire that entire defense, um, which I'm yep. certainly looking forward to. And, and just his presence as well, as we mentioned earlier, in the locker room as well, it, it's really going to going to add a lot because a, a lot of the Minnesota United players will have played against him right? and they won't have enjoyed playing against him. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think his presence is going to add a lot to this team for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for joining us for the 39th Sound of the Loons podcast. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating. You can follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and you can follow me at Steve Ventress. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.